right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the conference championship weekend betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Oh, baby. I love this weekend. You ready to roll? I'm ready to roll. It's been like the quietest week I've ever had in the app, in the Action Network app uh, this week, because I had so many futures get to this point. So it's hard for me to go in there and say, yeah, let's ride Western Kentucky this week when I've took notice of this team since the transfer portal opened in February and I was able to get some money down in May. So, I mean, this is it. I've been waiting for this forever. Yeah, we'll talk about some potential hedges later. Hopefully the MAC manifesto can come through in the second straight year with Kent State as well. But we'll talk about that. We're going to get to all 10 conference championship games. And, man, got to, I'm excited to break these down because – was able to spend two days on 10 games instead of, you know, 55, 60 games. So got a lot of good nuggets to get to and hopefully can find some winners while we all enjoy the games. By the way, just imagine, imagine an 18 playoff where all the the power five conference championships all go to the college playoff. How even more exciting this weekend would be, but I digress. All right, let's work our way in chronological order, starting on Friday. Conference USA. Friday night, 7 Eastern on CBS Sports Network at the Alamo Dome. We have Western Kentucky on the road at UTSA. UTSA is now a three, three and a half point home underdog over under sitting at a sky high 71 and a half. UTSA seeking its first ever conference title. Western Kentucky, it's third. It's 2-0 in this conference championship game. By the way, in regards to totals, you know, we have a couple, a few high totals this year. Since 2005 per action labs, totals that are 65 or higher, the under has gone 14 and 9 for what it's worth. But this is a revenge spot for Western Kentucky, which lost earlier this season at home in a thriller by five and 52 to 47 in a game where they had the ball first and goal for the win, got a personal foul and then threw an interception. Western Kentucky is now, you know, out to a three, three and a half point favorite here. When I look at this game and by the way, teams that have revenge as Western Kentucky does, I went back and looked at all of the teams that have same season revenge in a conference championship game since 2005, they're 21 and 20 against the spread. But there's three dogs that didn't cover in overtime. Pretty bad beats there. What I looked at was the margin. 65% of the teams improved their margin from the previous loss. They did so by an average of seven and a half points. So I think there's a slight edge. You know, when you lost the first game, you get to make the adjustments. But I think it's pretty efficiently priced into the market on the close, as you'll see many times this time of year when the markets get more efficient. 
when I look at this game, I still think UTSA's defense is fraudulent. Their pass defense is a liability. Their run defense numbers look good, but they faced a really easy schedule of opposing rush offenses. Look, UAB, 36 carries, 238 yards, 6.6 yards a carry. North Texas, 60 for 340, 5.7 over the past two weeks. And look, UTSA, I've been saying, I've been calling them a fraud for weeks. They got destroyed by North Texas. Okay, let's throw that out and let's uh, focus on their wins because they won 11 games. They beat Memphis coming back from with two late touchdowns to barely win. They got a couple of fumbles and personal fouls. They beat Western Kentucky, failed on the doorstep to end the game. They beat UAB by three on a last-second lucky touchdown. They were outplayed in all three. They had fewer yards per play in all three. They were almost three yards per play fewer than UAB, two yards per play fewer than Memphis. I mean, they should not have won those games. And then let's look at the rest of their schedule. Who do they beat? Lamar, Illinois, Middle Tennessee, UNLV, Rice, Louisiana Tech, UTEP, Southern Miss. Those teams are combined 32 and 63. Only UTEP had a winning record. Five and 0 possession games. Meanwhile, Western Kentucky's 0 and 3 in one possession games. This offense is rolling. They've scored 31 in every game this year, and they've won seven straight by an average of two touchdowns. Average score 45.3 to 18.8. Also, the defense has improved of late. I mean, their first five opponents, they only held one to below their yards per play average on the season. They've held five of their past six below by over a yard on average. And they've, they've gotten some guys back. They've made a couple scheme changes and that defense is playing a lot better. I also think it's just a good matchup for them. Their pass defense is much better than the run defense. UTSA has been better throwing the ball this year, even though they have sincere McCormick and the UTSA run defense is better than its pass defense. Well, Western Kentucky, the only team that runs it less than Western Kentucky is Mississippi State, another air raid offense. So that doesn't matter. So I think this is a good matchup for Western Kentucky. Their defense is playing a lot better than they were earlier in the year when these two teams met. I don't see how UTSA slows down Zappy Hour and this offense. Bailey Zappy. Stearns with 1,500-plus yards on a fast track in the Alamo Dome. I think Western Kentucky gets their revenge. They are the clearly better team here. You know, UTSA is going to score, but I think that Western Kentucky will score more efficiently and get stopped less. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I came to the same conclusion as you, but with, from from a different angle. And I don't know if anybody's having a better Twitter week than me. I've got Bailey Zappi retweeting me for some of the plays that he uh, had last weekend, and I got a points per possession conversation going on with Eric Musselman right now. So I'm having a heck of a time on social media. But this is a game I make Western Kentucky minus four and a half and a total of 72. You know, the number opened up pick, and it's taken nothing but Hilltoppers money. And that's real money, and it's going to keep pushing until it finds some resistance. And the biggest reason I've heard about people taking UTSA, and it really just drives me crazy, some of the lazy handicapping in this industry. Well, they beat them. They beat Western Kentucky earlier this season on their own turf, so they're obviously going to win here now as an underdog. That was a 52-46 to 46 slugfest. Bailey Zappi had 500 yards, five touchdowns, and the game had seven lead changes. Uh, and it was a different Western Kentucky defense. You've already mentioned that. Uh, UTSA had no pressure on Bailey Zappi. They sacked him just once for two yards. It you know, wasn't a true sack, but Western Kentucky kicked a field goal early. They missed one late. Bailey Zappi threw an interception at the end of the game trying to rush in getting a score. And that's the difference in the game. That's it. 
So I, I doubt there's going to be any field goals kicked in this game. I'm sure Tyson Helton has learned his lesson. And you would ask, well, is this going to happen again? Is this going to be a big shootout? The UTSA defense has regressed since that game, whether it be injury, beat up, tired. I don't know what is going on, but North Texas lit them up for 45. UAB, they have an explosive passing game with Dylan Hopkins. Uh, they lit them up for, 30, for, for 31 points. And then Southern Miss has no quarterback, almost beat them. You know, UTSA is bottom five in second order win total. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's sort of a pathag to figure out what your real win total should be. Their secondary is 99th in coverage. They're 109th in defensive pass expected points. They do not do well against the explosive pass. And, you know, Western Kentucky right now is 11th in offensive finishing drives. They, uh, they've had 44 TDs to just 15 field goals. I can't see them kicking a field goal in this game. If it's like fourth and eight and they're on the 23, I, I don't see them kicking a field goal. You know, for Western Kentucky's defense, it's improved since that game against UTSA. They haven't allowed over 21 points since October 9th. I couldn't believe that when I looked that up. I just thought the defense gave it up to everybody. If you look at UTSA, we love Sincere McCormick. We love him. Great running back. He's only created one missed tackle in the last three games. He has 39 on the season. Just one. McCormick is averaging less than two yards after contact in the last three games. This UTSA team is tired. They're going in the opposite direction of Western Kentucky. The Roadrunners are just going to get pounced all over. I'm not hedging at all. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth. Yeah, I might put a small amount on UTSA, maybe for my initial stake. Now that it's past three, you have a chance to middle potentially, which adds some intrigue to it. But yeah, I agree. At Western Kentucky, they're they're top 30 in coverage. UTSA is 87th, 88th, 89th. Also, Western Kentucky, better special teams, even though they rank dead last. They've been the unluckiest team in the nation in opposing Opponent field goals, things that are just out of your control. Like they've had the, the worst luck in opponent field goals. Now, UTSA has a really good kicker in uh, Duplessis, but I, if they're kicking, uh, that's bad news. Uh, yep, so I agree. It's uh, Hilltoppers here or nothing and uh, zappy hour, baby. All right, let's move on to the other game on Friday night, and that's the Pac-12 championship. The Pac-12 conference. Oh, no! We suck again! Oregon and Utah. Utah is a two-and-a-half-point favorite here, over under 50. This game is at 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Pac-12 North, 9-1 and one in this game all-time. USC was a lone winner from the South back in 2017. Oregon's going for its third straight Pac-12 title and fifth overall. Meanwhile, Utah is looking for its first title. First conference championship game win after losing in both 2018 and 2019, the latter to these Ducks. The big narrative here is will Oregon get its revenge? We just saw these two teams play a few weeks ago and Utah rolled. I mean, it was looked over in the second quarter and then it was officially over once Oregon punted with a few seconds to go and Kobe returned the punt for a touchdown to end the half. It was ugly for the Ducks. By the way, of the six rematches to occur in the Pac-12 championship, five were won by the regular season winner. Utah's been playing really good football. They've averaged 218 yards per game on the ground. I mean, since basically since Cam Rising has taken over a quarterback, Utah's playing really good football on both sides of the ball. The question is, 
well, can Oregon make the necessary adjustments here to have a different result this time around? I will tell you, I personally did take some Ducks plus three. I was all about Utah in that first game. Utah was minus three there. I took some money line of Utah. Now, Utah's minus three in Vegas. And you're talking about a Utah team that has that never loses at home. One of the hardest places to play in all of college football. I have their home field advantage over three and a half points. It's the highest in all of college football. So, you know, that, that line was assuming Utah was a seven-point favorite on a neutral field. Okay, well, Utah rolled. You adjust Oregon down. You adjust Utah up. But not to this level. Also, I think Oregon does have the advantage of being able to make some adjustments here. And that week, they lost all of their receivers going into that week. Well, Anthony Brown looked really good last week. I think it's going to be a different story this time around. I think there's too much value in Oregon in the game I make basically a pick. So I took the field goal. I am a little worried about some of the rush defense numbers that I've talked about all year with Oregon against this really good offensive line for Utah and really good rush offense. But I had to take the three. What say you? I had to take the three also. I mean, it's just a mathematical play. There's nothing in this that says, oh, Oregon's figured it out. And, you know, because the handicap from what would be 13 days prior to the kickoff is still there. There's still those huge advantages that we saw on the ground. There's still problems with, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau uh, not getting double teamed, uh, not making himself a presence in there. Uh, all those advantages still exist. So, you know, the number that got up to three, that needed to be hit because I make this game a one and it's just too much of an adjustment. So you got to go back to the pressers from this week with Cristobal and Whittingham. Whittingham basically came out and said, the plan hasn't changed, period. Cristobal gets up there this week and he says, (laughs) they said, what changes are you going to make and get ready for Utah this week? He says, we don't do schematics in here. Uh, We just have to do better. Uh, and basically, he didn't want to talk about game plan. But if you go about like 18 minutes into the press conference, he says there's going to be wrinkles on both sides of the ball. So that got me thinking, like, what are these wrinkles going to be? You're not going to take Anthony Brown in the mesh RPO and try to shove it over, you know, in between the tackles on first and second down. Is Anthony Brown actually going to throw on first and second down? Because that's what happened against Oregon State, and they were tremendous. They looked like a completely different team last week in the Civil War. He was t- cooking. Cooking. And I'm so I'm thinking if there's wrinkles in this game from what they did against Utah, Anthony Brown's going to be throwing pretty early. 24% above national average in passing plays last week in success rate. I expect Oregon to pass early, and we just have to hope, you know, as a person that holds Oregon plus three, that Brown doesn't have an awful day like he did against Utah before. Now, the defense is another issue. They, they've struggled against the run all season. Uh, they're great in passing downs. They're great at getting pressure, but you have to get into passing downs. Uh, I believe Utah ran 48 of 68 plays in standard downs. <laughs> Oregon could not do enough to get them off schedule. Uh, so we'll see. You know, I think the wrinkle on defense, you got to put more guys in the box. If you're going to stop this Utah rush game, you're going to have to drop somebody in the box. And when you do that, what's Cam Rising going to do? He's going to throw. Now, can he burn you? Yeah, absolutely he can. But when I hear wrinkles on both sides of the ball, that tells me this game's going over. I mean, you know, the Utes are sixth in defensive havoc, and they play in opponents' backfields all the time. Did you say Utes? Yeah, Utes. So this is going to be a boomer bust effort. Either you're getting the ball out quick and it's going downfield, or there's going to be problems and there could be some defensive touchdowns here. With all these wrinkles, of course, Utah can make adjustments. Of course they can. So I think a first half over is the play on this. Now, I will say this, 59 is key, but I thought over was the play and it got down to 58. Today we're at 57 and a half. Listen, 
You want to think that everybody, you want the narrative out there that Oregon's going to get blown out and they're not going to score? Fine. Let that number drive down. Let these people drive it down because 55 is another key number. And if these wrinkles are going to work, they're going to work early. So I would rather take a first half over here. Yeah. And another thing to mention is that that in that game in Utah, I mean, it just snowballed on Oregon, who actually has better overall special teams this year than Utah. Utah's a good punt return unit, but their special teams other than that have been really poor this year. So, I mean, so Utah goes up seven, nothing after they, you know, converted a third and six twice. They scored on a third and nine. Then Oregon drives down the field, you know, they get a field goal blocked, right? Then Utah scores another touchdown to go up 14, nothing Oregon drives down towards the inside the Utah red zone. Again, they miss another field goal. Utah scores again. It's 21, nothing. And then Oregon punts as time expires and they return the punt for a touchdown. Three awful special team swings in that first half. It's out of hand. It's at Rice Eccles and you're, you're lost. And you, you just lost all your receivers that week. And Brown is trying to throw to come back. And he was obviously in over his head. So I do think that there is some value with Oregon. I'll be curious to see what the adjustments are. I do agree that they should be throwing more uh, and being more aggressive on early downs, which would lend itself to a first half over for sure. All right, so let's move on to Saturday. We'll start at noon Eastern with some Maction. How beautiful is Maction? How <laughs> beautiful is Maction? Oh, man. Just when we thought we had peak Maction. Max yourself. Who's the Mac? Talking the Mac championship game between Northern Illinois and Kent State. Kent State is a three and a half point favorite. Over under 74 and a half. Talk about some action. Are you serious? Maction. You gotta love it. This game's at noon Eastern on ABC at Ford Field in Detroit. Kent State 0-1 in the MAC championship game. They lost in 2012 in their only appearance. Northern Illinois 4-4 four four last appearing in 2018. Kent State hasn't won a conference championship since 1972. They will have to beat Northern Illinois for a second time. In order to do so here, the first meeting, they won 52 to 47 in an absolute shootout. By the way, they have Northern Illinois has revenge after losing 52 47. Western Kentucky has revenge after losing 52 46. Kind of odd. But Northern Illinois, look, they've had a hell of a season. This was a team that was projected to win four, four and a half games. And here they are in the MAC title, but they've certainly been fortunate. They're seven and two in one possession games, four and oh in games decided by two points or less. They've won four games by one or two points. And think about that, how close those games are. And then consider, and then think about that they're 19 of 23 on fourth down on the year. 19 of 23. That's 82.6%. That leads the nation. Kent, by the way, is like 12 of 21, close to the national average. And then Northern Illinois opponents. And by the way, Northern Illinois' defense is horrendous. 117th in success rate. 126th in early down EPA. 120 eighth and EPA per rush. I could go on and on. It's one of the worst defenses in the country. Yet opponents against this poverty defense are just 10 of 25 on fourth down, 40%. That's top 25 in the nation. Kent State opponents, by the way, are 85th. And yet this defense, they've been above average on third and fourth down somehow because of this fourth down lock, because of some third down lock. But this is a team on early downs. It's a bottom five defense in the country. That's why Kent State just went up and down the field and scored a will in the first meeting. I don't see how that doesn't happen again. It's the Kent State offense that's been rolling. Now, look, Northern Illinois, their offense is great, too. It's been really good. Rocky Lombardi gets rid of the ball quick. They have 
two, they have some really good receivers. Anyone they put in the backfield can run it. They could get Tyrese Ritchie back, one of their better receivers, but Trayvon Rudolph's a walking explosive play. He had over 300 yards receiving against Kent State in that meeting. But here's how the game's going to go. It's And Kent State's defense is awful as well. Kent State's going to score and score quickly. I mean, this they were scoring over and over again in under a minute in that first matchup. And then they can't kick it off. It's the worst kickoff team in the nation. They have six touchbacks. That's the fewest in the country. Teams are starting on average at the 35-yard line after kickoffs. National average is like the 26. It's really bad. So not only is there they can score quick, and then the other team is starting sometimes at the 35-40-45. They are just going to score. This should be a shootout. I don't think the market is properly adjusting for, one, these Kent State poor kickoffs, two, the track which I think adds like about a point and a half or so playing at Ford field. A lot of times these Mac teams play outside on, you know, bad fields. This is a fast field here. So I think there's about, I make this total 80. So I played the, Oh, all I've been doing for the last past month is playing Kent state overs, except that Akron game where I didn't go near it. Cause that, you know, they really didn't have to win or, you know, once they got up, they just kind of took their foot off the gas. They played slow that game, but when they're actually running their fast offense, this is just an over machine. Your game is routinely hit 90 points. So I like the over. I also like Kent State. I have 14 to 1 futures. I might add Northern Illinois plus three and a half because all they do is play games that are decided by one or two. And hopefully they eventually are, are due to lose one here. But I think Kent State is going to just score a few more t- touchdowns than Northern Illinois, who's going to have to settle for maybe a field goal or two. And maybe you see some of that fourth down regression. They're at 82%. So maybe there's a turnover on downs here. And that's the key. Been waiting for it all year. But I like Kent State. I make them a six-point favorite. Really like them under three. And I like the over. Uh, anything up to 75 is fine. I 100% agree with you. Uh, I think the buy point on there, – there is a couple of rogue threes out there on Kent. So if you didn't have any future on this game whatsoever, I think that's the way you want to go. Yes, there was a shootout last time. But what people don't realize is that Kent was pretty much in control – that entire game. I mean, Northern Illinois had a flurry of points in the fourth quarter. If you go back and look, Kent State on November 3rd won just by five, but finished with a 90% post game win expectancy. It was in control the entire time. Kent State 9.1 overall yards per play to Northern Illinois 6.9 yards per play. Uh, it, it just, it really, when you look at it from a box score perspective, the game just wasn't that close. I know it says it closed at five. But 20 points in the fourth quarter by the Huskies, there's just no reason, like Stuck said, to think that this game is going to end up any differently. But the thing is, is that Kent State had a monster lead in this game for a really long time. And even though Northern Illinois is outside the top 100 in tempo and they don't move very fast, I think it's really important to see what they did in the fourth quarter of that game. So down by 18 points, they scored three touchdowns. They only took six minutes off the clock and they ran 28 plays. I know the number is high. I think 74 is extremely high. I think it should be down around 72. You know, to me, this has Kent team total written all over it. There is nothing in Northern Illinois' defensive numbers. They're bottom 10 in almost everything. I'd be on Kent team total over. For those of you that do have Kent future tickets, like Stuck and I do, I am going to be playing back on the Northern Illinois side just because they've had this voodoo horseshoe up the ass. They went and saw a tarot card reader in New Orleans, and for some reason, uh, the black magic is all on their side. But there hasn't been any resistance in the market. As Stucky and I record this on Thursday late afternoon, the number is still going. Three, 
three and a half. I've seen three and a half juice at some shops. I want the best Northern Illinois possible and maybe get both sides of it, but definitely expect a Northern Illinois coming through the app. But if you have no prior play in this, Kent State team total over is definitely the play I would make. There should be a ton of points in this game. Um, so you, you might be able to get a better number live on on either side, maybe on, I think on maybe on Northern Illinois. I mean, that game finished 52-47. It was 7 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Kent State scored 31 points in the second quarter. And Northern Illinois was 4-4 four four on fourth down. I expect them to be aggressive on fourth down again. So that could lead to points either way. They're either going to be like turning it over or, you know, Kent State's going to get it or they're going to score. The numbers, Northern Illinois games are weird. Look, they've, had, they've won four games by one or two. They go for two when they're down. They just go for two at all these weird times. That makes like three not as key. So maybe if, if, you, if you're at three and you, and you can get a cheaper money line, it might be the way to go. I also could see someone deciding to go for two. We saw that last week at the Kent Miami game. Um, all right. Can't wait for that one. Noon Eastern, the drinks will be flowing. If you're in the next one, let me know. West out of town, I'll be having a party at Stucks. Flash fast, baby. All right. Let's move on to the Big 12 championship in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium. Also at noon Eastern on Fox. The Big 12 Conference. Alive and thriving. Wow! What a game! Defense! 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 You got to really feel bad for Baylor and Oklahoma State fans. Like, getting to the Big 12 title, Oklahoma was favored to win this conference in Iowa State. Like, everyone thought it was going to be Iowa State, Oklahoma. Now you get Baylor, Oklahoma State, and no one's going to be watching since the MAC game's on at the same, at the same time. It's rather unfortunate, but... We'll still break the game down here. Both teams are seeking their first ever Big 12 championship game victory, which was held between 96 and 2010. Then there was like a six-year hiatus when they just did a round robin and no title game. And then it's been held since 2017. Baylor only appeared once in 2019, and the Pokes have never appeared in the conference championship game, shockingly. The Pokes did win a conference title in 2011, and Baylor won two in 2013 and 14 when there wasn't a conference championship game. These two teams have treated betters really well this year. Oak State's 9-2-1 against the spread. Baylor's 8-4 against the spread. Another revenge game here as Oklahoma State sort of suffocated Baylor early in the season in a low-scoring affair. Baylor's offense, I, I'm not buying it still to this day, whether it's Bo Hannon, who is questionable with a hamstring injury, didn't play last week. You had Blake Shapin. So it's either going to be Bo Hannon, who's like hey, – what, what is his best attribute? I mean, we've seen his throwing is going down to that. He can run a little bit. Well, he's got a hurt ham, hamstring. Or you're going to go with a freshman against this Oklahoma State defense. I, I don't really see that working out well. The Baylor offense is also only average on early downs and, and EPA and success rate, but they're top 25 on late downs. I, I don't necessarily think this offensive output is sustainable. And look, they want to run first and get into third and manageables, but Oklahoma State's defense is elite. I mean, number two in early down EPA. Plus they're, they're also number one in third and fourth down, by the way. They lead the country in opponent third down conversion rate of 24.7%. On the other side, the Baylor defense, I, look, they've been a pretty average on early downs. Like if you look at some of the metrics, you say, well, it's kind of worrying, but they do a really good job confusing quarterbacks on third downs. Their numbers on late downs are really good. That just might be scheme-based, maybe. Maybe that's not just luck. The Oklahoma State offense has been better 
on early downs, but they've been hard on late downs. So that'll be an interesting battle. The Oklahoma State offense has gotten better late in the in the year than what we saw early in the year. Got healthier, especially with Tay Martin getting back in the mix. And Spencer Sanders is playing a little better. I do – I lean this under because I just can't see the Baylor offense doing much. And I do think Dave Aranda is going to come up with a really good scheme here to slow down Oklahoma State's offense. The one thing I, that does concern me a bit, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I don't have a play on this game yet, Oklahoma State went with tempo last week against Oklahoma. Do Is that just a tool in the toolbox when necessary? Is that something they say, like, look, wow, we had some success – going a little tempo do they do that now and then all of a sudden you know on a a fast track and using tempo the thunder doesn't look as appetizing for what it's worth big 12 big 12 championship game since 2005 eight and two to the under and underdogs are just three and seven what are your thoughts here Help us break this down. Yeah, it, interesting that you mentioned the record of the unders in this game because that's kind of where I'm leaning. And you mentioned that, that Oklahoma State kind of sped up Oklahoma, and I think that was to keep the now-departed Alex Grinch uh, for making substitutions and uh, not allowing Spencer Sanders and our new favorite wide receiver, Tay Martin, who we keyed on last week on the podcast saying this was a big, big you know player for this you know uh, to, to, to burn Oklahoma uh, I think the reason they went hurry up is to prevent substitutions and to take advantage of what we said last week. They're, Oklahoma doesn't have a single player in the defensive backfield that ranks in the top 200 grading at the corner of the safety position. So let's just go at them. Uh, and I think that's exactly what we saw. So, you know, overall with this game, it's a game where I power rated at four. I have no interest in five and a half. It's touched six times. You can see there's been buyback on Baylor this week, but I have no interest in backing Baylor either. These no. teams met in week five, the pokes won by 10, but they gave up three turnovers. So yeah, they won by 10, but I mean, they tried to lose the game too. Baylor struggled in that game and passing downs and scoring opportunities. That's the reason that they didn't even get close. And the most fascinating matchup on the field is going to be Broyles award candidate, offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes for Baylor taking on Broyles award candidate, Jim Knowles, who's a defensive coordinator for Oklahoma state. But really this game is about Gary Bohannon. He's vital to the Bears. He has to be moving around the pocket. Bohannon did practice this week, but it was called a non-helmet practice. I'm not really sure what that means when your injury is your hamstring. Uh, so there's no word on whether he's going to play. Uh, so Blake Shapin could get the start, but Gundy came out in his presser and said, look, Bohannon and, and, and Shapin, they run the same scheme. It's just a difference of one of these guys is a freshman and makes a lot of mistakes. And Aranda talked about that. Aranda is nervous with Blake Shapin out there. Like he would talk about, you know, taking hits or taking extra time in the pocket or random. I mean, literally the guy, I think he's scared for his life to have his freshman back there under quarterback. So it's a bad matchup if it's Shapin because the bears offensive line is 84th and passing down sack rate and Oklahoma state defense excels in getting you into long down and distances said it last week. I'll say it again, Oklahoma state's defense, number one in three and outs, number one in hard stops. Uh, I'm not saying they're Georgia. They're at least number two in the country for having the best defense. Spencer Sanders is getting better and better. That was the handicap last week, especially hitting, you know, Tay Martin and the pokes average 9.7 yards per play in passing downs against the Sooners. But this is still a Dave Aranda defense. And I know the handicap against Oklahoma was when Baylor played Oklahoma is like, Hey, Dave Aranda 
has really had Lincoln Riley's number. Well, I got news for you. Dave Aranda's had Spencer Sanders' number. If you look at the last two games where Baylor has faced Spencer Sanders, he's had five interceptions. You know, Spencer Sanders has not been able to figure out this multiple 3-3-5 look where people are moving around, they're disguising coverages and blitz. At the same time, Baylor's not scoring. They average 25.5 points through the month of November. Bohannon's beat up. We don't know the shape of his hamstring. I think there could be some turnovers of Shapin is in there, a little careless with the ball. You know, because technically this is a hangover spot, and I don't think that this hurry-up, speed-up offense for Oklahoma State is real, give me a first half under in this game. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, then you don't have to worry about one of these teams potentially speeding it up if they get down big or throwing a lot more in the second half and then you get some turnovers. One of the things that I'm that just gives me – maybe it's Oklahoma State's – it's just their season. Their defense has been – unbelievable but when they they've been a little bit of a voodoo team when is the when is the this gonna reverse itself right like against Tulsa they get a kick return for a touchdown to win right against Boise State they get a rogue whistle that took that basically cost Boise State the game right they get Texas they're about to go down what 21 nothing and they get a pick six to completely flip that game around Against Oklahoma, they get a kick return for a touchdown, which was huge in that game. So they keep getting these like very timely touchdowns, not or whistles and just weird plays. That is what scares me. But I think that Baylor is outclassed here from an offense perspective. But I, I like that look at the first half under. I think I think I will uh I'll join you there. All right, so let's move on to our next game. 3 p.m. on Fox. We're talking the Mountain West championship between utah state and san diego state the mountain west conference this game is in carson california which is where san diego state has played their home games this year a couple hours from campus san diego state 2-0 in the mountain west championship game in the past they won it in 2015 and 2016 utah state 0-1 they lost their only appearance in 2013. When I look at this game, I'm starting to like San Diego State more and more. I just hate laying six with them. But I think this Utah State team, for lack of a better word, stinks. So let's let's t- just take a look at this Utah State team, which is, has won eight games. First of all, it's been a hell of a season. What a turnaround from – Last year, they were like boycotting games, and it was one of the worst years in program history. Now to be in the Mountain West Championship game. But let's take a look at this uh, this schedule, shall we? Utah State, first game of the year, they scored two touchdowns in the final five minutes to beat Washington State by two in a game where Guarantano started for the Cougars. Prayer win. Absolute prayer. All right. Then they beat Air Force by four. They scored two late touchdowns again in the fourth quarter. To get that done, and Air Force fumbles on the last possession. Another just they pulled a rabbit out of that. All right, uh, how about UNLV? Oh, well, they scored a touchdown in the final minute, about 30 seconds to win by four against UNLV after UNLV lost its starting quarterback, who was actually their second-string quarterback in the second half. All right, well, how about Colorado State? Pretty bad team. Well, they won, a two, they won by two at home after Colorado State missed a 40-yard field goal as time expired. This is like Northern Illinois of the West. All right, so how about their other wins? All right, they beat North Dakota, Hawaii, New Mexico State, and San Jose State. Four teams with losing records. 
And then they lost by double digits at home to Wyoming, Boise State, and BYU. And we talked about fourth down regression with Northern Illinois. It's, this is Northern Illinois. Utah State leads the nation in fourth down defense. Right, so they're third in the nation. 28%. Teams are 28% against them. Uh, this team is just has pulled wins out of their ass all year long. And anyone with a pulse that they've played, they've gotten run off the field. I mean, that, you, that Wyoming game, where they lose by 30 at home. So I think San Diego State, their defensive, their secondary showed me a lot last week. I had questions about them. They lost three pros from last year's secondary. We know their scheme is elite. We know you can't run on them. The question becomes, can Logan Bonner, who did get a little banged up against New Mexico, can him and, you know, Devin Tompkins was a stud receiver. This is Utah State can't run the ball, so it's just going to come down to can Logan Bonner hit these big explosive passing plays. I saw enough from the San Diego State defense of backfield last week against Boise to believe that they can hold their own here. Jordan Brookshire played so well for San Diego State. He's more willing to go downfield, gives them – maybe he can carry over some of that momentum. But I think San Diego State can move the ball here. You have the punt god in your back pocket as well. I think that this just this Utah State team is completely fraudulent. So I think that San Diego State, even though I hate laying points with them, yeah. hate laying six, I think they might be the play here at under a touchdown. What do you think? I make it minus eight and a half. I'm right there with you. Uh, SP plus actually makes this game San Diego state minus 13. So you want to talk about a power rating system that hates the Aggies. Uh, there, there are others out there that don't like them uh, either. So, and you know, I, I just echo everything that you have to say about San Diego state. And I'm, I'm glad that you've come around on how, on how exciting and explosive this team is right I, now. I don't know if I'm going to take an over in this game. I do project the total of 49 and a half market is sitting at 50 Aztec overs. Uh, but I think the one area that you want to focus on is that San Diego State is top 15 in the nation in rush explosiveness. Utah State's defense outside the top 100. So when you see Lucas Johnson take off out of the pocket, he could go to the house. When you see either Brookshire or Brookshire, I think Brookshire. Or Brookshire. I mean, what? Uh, I don't even know how that game went under last week. I mean, they. I mean, Brookshire came in. It was just a completely different. Welcome season. to the San Diego State under party. It took you long enough to arrive. <laughs> So the Greg and Chance Bell, I mean, if they break through that, that that initial line, I mean, they literally can take it to the house. And I think that's the one thing that you want to look at if you're thinking about taking an under here uh, is, is that there is the, the element of the explosive play on the ground for San Diego State. That's in favor for them. Stuck's right about the defense for San Diego State. This They're going to shut down any rushing attempt. I, I can't believe that Utah State actually runs the ball 53% of the time. I'm looking at their run rate. But, you know, when they do pass with Bonner, uh, they have been 10th in passing success rate, but just a big difference in havoc here. There's there's two things why you can accept taking San Diego State minus six, because it is a big number for that team. One of them is the fact that they are eighth in defensive havoc. They get into the backfield. They have tons of pass breakups, interceptions, forced fumbles. Utah State's offense is 76. They are loose with the ball. I, I mean, a lot of that luck that they've had this year, they've had some fumbles bounce their way. And then the other one is finishing drives. And listen, I'm going to update this story. And we've referenced it every other week here on the podcast. There is a direct correlation to winning finishing drives covering the spread. And there is a monster gap in finishing drives in this game, particularly when San Diego State is 18th on defense. Utah State is outside the top 100. Utah State needs that explosive play to score points. And it's just not going to come against the Aztecs. 
So I'm going to lay the six here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to push some money across the counter while you and I are podcasting because I think this thing can go up even higher. There's one book at six and a half. I'm just going to take the six and, and we'll have fun with this one. All right, I'm in. All right, let's move on to the Sun Belt Conference Championship. The Sun Belt Conference. The Fun Belt. Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. Talk a little Fun Belt here between Appalachian State and Louisiana. This game is at 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN in Lafayette, Louisiana. This is a road game for Appalachian State. Another game where we have same-season revenge. Louisiana really took it to Appalachian State earlier this season. There's only been two previous conference title games in the fun belt. Last year got canceled, right? At least we get the fun belt this year. Full fingers crossed. I assume it will happen. And in both conference title games, App State beat Louisiana. Technically, Louisiana is the reigning champ. They're co-champs with Coastal Carolina because the game got canceled. But the question here is, what did Louisiana do to dominate that first game? And can App State turn it around? Uh, I say yes. I took App State minus two and a half. Here. There's a couple things. Would I? There's a couple things that I like here. Number one, Louisiana has just not impressed me at all this year. When is this close game block going to run out? There's six and zero in one possession games this year. Five by five or less. How about the last two years? They're twelve and one in one possession games. I mean, that's just insane. They beat three bowl teams this year. Georgia State in the final minute. App State and Liberty with a 10 to 1 turnover margin in those two games. App State, just two and one in one possession games, four and one versus bowl teams with that lone loss coming against Louisiana. I think that game was an anomaly. And the App's offense is, you know, they're not, they haven't been great at running the ball, but they've been really good at throwing it. That's strength on strength here against this Louisiana team. Their secondary has been excellent. On the other side of the ball, Louisiana's offense has been just really underwhelming all year. And the App State defense has been dominant, and they just keep improving week in and week out. The Cajuns are a better running team than they are throwing, but the App State, is their run defense is so stout. And the other factor here, I just think App State is the better team. They will be, I think, a little more motivated after that embarrassing loss early in the season because I'm not sure – where this Louisiana team's head's at because their head coach, your boy, we'll see if you say his name <laughs> was hired by Florida. And he said, well, I'm going to prepare for Florida, but set some time aside for, I'm going to set some time aside for both during the week. What? <laughs> but it, it makes sense because like, and if I set time aside for this fun belt championship, he's going to have a bowl of cereal and uh, think about it. That's, that's the time aside for the ball game. Because recruiting window open and you're going to Florida. Do you think he's spending time on this fun belt championship? Absolutely not. So I, I just don't know where Louisiana is at mentally from a preparation standpoint. You know, their coach leaving and probably probably doing recruiting trips this week. So uh, I think App State gets its revenge. Like them anything under three. Boy, how do I how do I go around this without talking about the the guy the the coach that has burned me so much I don't even say his name anymore. Scared money don't make money, you know. I am not hedging my four to one App State future. Uh, if I didn't have any money on this game, I would play App State minus three. 
Uh, I make this game power rated App State minus four and a half. And I think what people need to realize is when Stuck said that Louisiana is extremely lucky, that's an understatement. Sean Clark, since he took over as head coach after Eli Drinkowitz won a conference championship with App State, you know, Scott Satterfield was winning conference championships with, with App State. Sean Clark has been on all these staffs as the offensive line coach. Now it's his chance. He didn't make it the game last year. The game didn't even play last year. So now is Sean Clark's time to get his team ready on a revenge spot to go back to the place where they were embarrassed. And I think what people need to realize is that these two teams have played each other twice in the last 12 months and Louisiana's plus seven in turnovers. And, you know, Chase Bryce making some pretty bad decisions with his throwing. He doesn't do this in any other game. He does not have turnover worthy plays. He doesn't throw interceptions. He doesn't make bad mistakes, but he's, he did it against Louisiana earlier this year. But it's not only that game that Louisiana has been lucky in. If you look at the last three games, especially where the coach that will not be named went up against ULM just the other day, they almost lost. But the last three games, Louisiana is plus 10 in net turnovers. Plus 10. I mean, how lucky can this team be? Well, I can tell you, they are 123rd in second order win total. They are, (laughs) they have been at the craps table a little bit too long. They've been served a little bit too many drinks and they're going to play until their bankroll is empty. Now, when it comes down to this game, when you look in the matchups, it's just not going to be a problem for Appalachian State to move the ball. This is a game where App State has everything that you want in the advanced statistics. There's motivation there. There's revenge there. There's a coach and a team that has been living on turnovers. They've proved it to me. They just don't need to turn the ball over. Now, saying all that, there is a little something that scares me in this game, (laughs) which is why I would not go above three. And I would probably play this pretty light. And I'm not going to hedge my future, but if this happens, you won't find me on social media for a couple hours. The coach that will not be named is on his way to Florida. Early signing day is, I don't know, two and a half weeks from now. He is at a craps table right now with one foot out the door at a job. And Louisiana is top 10 in the nation, fourth down attempts. He's had 33 of them this year. This is Scare a- money don't make money. Insert the Air- clip. Scared money don't make money, you know? Scared money don't make money. And this is a guy that told his quarterback on fourth and two at the 30-yard line to turn around and run it into the end zone for a safety when he had one of the best stuff rates in the nation. I can't understand this guy's line of thinking. I can't understand how he coaches games. But what I do know is that he goes for it on fourth downs more than just about anybody over the last three years. It doesn't matter what happens in this game because he's already got a new job. That's what worries me about this game is that he will do things so far out of the coaching handbook that App State may win this game by 40, or there may be the old rabbit's foot uh, plus 10 turnovers in the last three games, plus seven turnovers against App State the last two games. Some of that's in that element. But if you're just statistically speaking, App State is the play. The old riverboat. (laughs) Uh, I'm under the SEC. There's some riverboat casinos down in Louisiana, right? Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like like, uh, the Nears. Nears. Nears is App State. Don't say Nears. It's West Virginia. That's Ears. Um, Trust me, I've uh, been yelled at before by uh, all the great folks in Morgantown. Ears is what, let's go Ears is West Virginia. Let's go Nears is App State. All right, let's move on to... Another afternoon conference championship game. Let's talk about the 
American Athletic Conference Championship between Houston and Cincinnati. The AAC. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. Cincinnati will host this game in Nippert Stadium. This game's at 4 Eastern on ABC. Cincinnati's a 10.5-point favorite. Over-under is down to 53-ish. It's opened at 56. It's taken a lot of under money. Houston's 1-0 in this title game. They won it in their only appearance back in 2015. Cincy is making their third straight appearance. They lost in 2019. They won it last year. When I look at this game, there's a couple things that jump out to me. I mean, number one, Houston can't run the ball. 108th in rush success rate. So let's just throw that out. It's all going to come down to Clayton Toon trying to throw the ball. Uh, Well, good luck against Cincinnati. Uh, How about Sauce Gardner? Probably the best corner in all of college football. Since he arguably has the best corner duo in all of college football as well. Gardner, who got robbed, robbed of All-American status. I was yelling about that uh, last year. Um, Who who got it over him? My boy, uh, Sean Wade, I think. Yep. Unbelievable. But Gardner, do you want to hear some stats? Hasn't allowed a touchdown in over 1,000 snaps in his career. 1,000 snaps, not a touchdown. He's allowed 127 yards for the season. 60 or fewer yards in 22 straight games. 42% career completion rate against. 0.2 yards per attempt against. He's also really good in the run. So, you know, then you have Bryant on the other side. So here's the question. You basically – so all comes down to is can Houston get – Dell, their star receiver, cooking. And when I dug into this game, I was thinking, all right, are they going to take Gardner, the best corner in the nation, and shadow Dell? And I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, if you look back at Gardner over the past couple years, he, you know, his it'll say he plays the left and right side equally. He always plays the boundary side, right, where if the ball is closest to the sidelines, the short field. And that's because he's on an island. And they just let him go and he takes away that receiver and you can't throw there. And that's how they've always played. Well, Dell will line up all over and some games they'll put him in the slot a lot. And they've done that recently. Interestingly enough, last week, since he put Gardner and Bryant in the slot for 10 and eight snaps, which are their career highs. I mean, Gardner never plays in the slot and Gardner's played 20 slot snaps this year 2022 slot snaps he's allowed one catch for two yards so i think that since he was doing that knowing that okay if dell is going off in the slot let's get them some game experience in the slot and they're going to move gardner or bryant in the slot so i just can't see this houston offense moving the ball you have to throw it like that's how, the only way they can move the ball is start they can't run the ball you just can't throw on Cincinnati with their elite secondary. Look, Houston's numbers are good. Their offensive numbers, pretty good. But let's let, let's take a look at who they've played. Think about these passing defenses. Texas Tech, Rice, Grambling, Navy, Tulsa, Tulane, East Carolina, SMU, South Florida, Temple, Memphis, UConn. I mean, they haven't faced a good passing defense yet. So I think they're in for a rude awakening here. I think they struggle to get to 17. I do really like the Houston defense. 
They've done some nice things. I do think that this is one of Holgerson's best defensive units. I think that they can contain this Cincy offense. I really like the under. I played the under 54. And look, these two teams don't play fast either, so that works in your favor. I just think this Houston team is really going to struggle to move the ball. Their defense, I think, could keep them in it. I don't think Cincy needs style points here. That's an interesting question, but I don't think they need to run this up or will. And I don't think they necessarily can just run it up against Houston's defense. So I like the under here. And uh, I think that if I had to take a side, I make the line about right. I, I would put a gun to my head. I would take Cincy because I just don't see Houston sustaining any sort of offensive success because I do feel confident that since he has a plan for Dell, if he's going off of the slot, and that's pretty much the only way that I can see Houston moving the ball. One other thing, Houston is one of the best all around returners, if not the best returner in the nation, Marcus Jones. Well, Cincinnati, one of the best kickoff and punt efficiency teams in the nation. They don't let you get anything in that department. So there goes that as well. And that's that's a way that Houston can score in a flash. So I think that that I feel confident that now Marcus Jones is going to break one, but at least I have a really good coverage and kickoff and punts. What do you see here? Yeah, I mean, as we've been talking about this, I I, I wanted to take the under in this game. I wanted to look for an angle because. I echo everything you say about the Cincinnati secondary completely shut down the SMU team. Houston, I mean, 85th in rushing success rate, 113th in line yards on offense. They're not going to run the ball at all. It's going to be the Clayton Toon show, and he's going to go to his top receiver. And the problem is, is, you know, we talk so much about Sauce Gardner, but Kobe Bryant and Brian Cooker actually have higher coverage grades. It's a game that I power rate at 10 and a half. Uh, so it's right on the number. SP Plus makes a 12 and a half. So if you follow that, then you would want to take some Cincinnati here. It's a total I also make at 53. So we're right on par with what we've got in the market. So this is a really tough game. I do have a future, a very uh, large. Yes, I did in May lay $1,600 to win 1,000. Uh, Cincinnati opened minus 160 to win this conference. And I said flat out, they will not be minus 160 on the money line in the conference championship game. Uh, I will go ahead and lay that kind of money right now. So I'm not worried about hedging it. And I actually think Cincinnati probably more than likely will cover this game. They could shut Houston out considering Houston's just a one trick pony with the, with the throwing. Now the defense, you're right. They are good uh, in a lot of categories. Number one in pass rush in the nation. That's been a problem for Cincinnati's offensive line. They're 82nd in pass blocking. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that point to, you know, Cincinnati having success here with Desmond Ritter. First and second down, they were taking shots down the field. And I just wouldn't be surprised to see that happen here. I'm with you. I think the best play, now that I'm looking at the board, I think the best play here is there's a couple of 27 and a halves on the first half. And we talked about this. I think Cincinnati would be quick to make adjustments if Houston's able to find something with Clayton Toon and they'll shut it down. So I think the best bet, because the number keeps going down 52 and a half, 53, I think under 27 and a half is the best value on the board. And I'm probably going to end up playing that right now. All right, let's move on to the SEC championship. Here, it just means more. This game is at 4 Eastern on CBS between Alabama and Georgia. Georgia's a six-and-a-half point favorite over under 49-and-a-half. This game will be played in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. By the way, if you're into total trends, the SEC conference championship game since 2005 – 11 and four to the over get all these athletes on that fast track and you tend to see a lot of fireworks Alabama as a six and a half point dog it looks weird because it is and we rarely see it Alabama has 
will be an underdog for the first time in 93 games. They've been favored in 164 of their past 165 games. Pretty amazing when you think about it, considering that they are usually in the college football playoff. Alabama has been an underdog five times since 2008 under Nick Saban. They've won four of those five games. 2015 against Georgia, plus one and a half. They won by 28. 2009, plus four and a half against Florida. They won by 19. 2008, plus 10 against Florida. They lost by 11, their lone loss. 2008, plus six and a half against Georgia. They won by 11. 2008, plus four against Clemson. They won by 24. So, you know, the, the easy thought process here is, look, Saban, especially if you can get a seven here catching a touchdown with, you know, all of Alabama's talent, hard to pass up. I also will mention underdogs that failed to cover multiple games in a row, two or more coming into a conference championship, 17 and four against the spread since 2005, 81%, covering by an average margin of 11 points per game. Conversely, teams that covered multiple games in a row coming into the conference championship, you know, Michigan, Kent State, Cincinnati, they've gone 32, 44, and 2, 42%. Just something to think about. I don't think it's science. Just, you know, all back to buy low, sell high, and market principles. When I look at this game, it's Alabama has been, if I had removed priors, I make Georgia eight and a half point favor here. And we're at the point where, you know, you can kind of say, all right, these teams are who they are. And Alabama's offensive line has been a disaster. Good luck against Georgia. Their coverage at times has been a disaster. Sense of Bennett has been great. The one thing that I look at in this game is that Alabama's run defense outside of the game against Florida has been elite. Elite. You cannot run on them. And we know you can't run on Georgia. Georgia's putting up historically great defensive numbers. So, you know, on this fast track, this total's coming down. I'm starting to think about the over. I think both teams might come out throwing all day. Can Bryce Young get time to throw the ball uh, is one question. Can Stetson Bennett, you know, throw in a closer game for four quarters and sustain this success? That's another question. But the more I dig into this game, I mean, this is an Alabama team that barely escaped Florida, barely escaped Auburn, barely escaped LSU, just you know, lost to Zach Calzac. Poverty results. All right, so everybody wants to beat us. We're going to get everybody's best game. I don't know why people can't understand that. When I came here, everybody was happy to win a game. All right, now we're not happy to win a game at all. I just keep thinking, all right, maybe Georgia, I think Georgia just might blow the doors off of Alabama here. Motivation-wise, uh, all right, maybe, I mean, Georgia, if they lose, they're, they're still in to the college football playoff, presumably. So maybe do they hold some things back for the college football playoff? And Alabama has to throw everything in the kitchen sink here. Maybe that's an angle. But it's hard to make a case for Alabama other than, all right, Nick Saban's catching – you know, six and a half points. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, and I think that's the only defense that people have when they say, well, you got to back Alabama here, six and a half points. It's been uh, 100. He's been favored in every game except one in 129 games since 2009, and that was against Georgia, and they won the game 38 to 10, and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's just like it, stuff that isn't meaningful to this game. What is meaningful to this game is that Alabama's offensive line has been due to cost the Crimson Tide a game, and it's going to come in this game. Nobody wants to win more than the players that play. For all you self-absorbed folks out there that can't look past your own self and have some gratitude. Auburn absolutely dominated the Alabama offensive line. Arkansas absolutely dominated the Alabama offensive line. Bryce Young has been running around 
I called him the best dart player in the world last year because he just looks for the empty spot on the field and he throws it. Now, that doesn't mean to take any of his ability away. I mean, I saw him make some plays with his legs and maneuver around the pocket, and he's got a pump fake that really, you know, gets some defenders to, to move out of the way. So I there's some talk about Bill O'Brien uh, being out the door to Virginia Tech. There's some talk about, you know, Bill O'Brien's lack of creating explosive plays. But, hey, let's look at it. Brian Robinson Jr. is hurt. Roy Day Williams is out for the year. Uh, one scholarship back. You know. One scholarship running back is left on this offense. Uh, there's just – it's a depleted offense. And the offensive line, I'll say, there, I'll say it again, Darian Dahlcourt, Chris Owens, Damian George, these are some of the worst-ranked rush and pass defenders on offensive lines in Power 5. They run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. And it's just not Alabama season. And I, I've seen that from a mile away weeks ago when I, I think I told Brett on sources in September that Alabama's going to lose after the Texas A&M game. I said they're going to lose again. Now, here we are. They've almost lost a couple games. But if you can give their offensive line troubles, you know, if you're not New Mexico State, and you can give their offensive line troubles, you could beat them. Well, guess what? Georgia eats offensive lines for breakfast. The speed on this team is so remarkable. And I, I think what else is amazing about this team is that no one player is the leader, like especially from a statistical perspective. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that got me when I when I was looking this up. The Bulldogs have three defenders that rank in the top 200 in pass rush productivity. Pass rush productivity is a new stat from PFF that kind of integrates everything. Sacks, hits, hurries. They have three players that rank in the top 200. They have four members of the secondary that rank 200, rank in the top 200 individually in coverage grading. It's next man up. They're deep. They're fast. And what's the one thing, just from the eyeball test, that's my favorite term for all you people that work at ESPN. From the eyeball test, you can't go east to west on the Georgia defense. They are too fast at the linebacker position for you to try to cut a corner. You can't go up the middle against Jordan Davis. He requires a double team every single time. So what is it that you have to do against the Georgia defense? Something that a couple teams have tried, but they haven't been very successful, and that is throw it deep in between the hashes. I don't know how Alabama gets a couple of their receivers. Mechie is not looking like Mechie of last year. You know, Williams not looking like anything that they've had in the past. I don't know how they get these guys deep over 10 yards in between the hashes against this secondary, uh, but that's the only way to attack this Georgia defense, and they just don't have it. So when you flip to the other side of the ball, Stetson Bennett's numbers are great. I don't even know how to say this. Like, he's one of the best quarterbacks in all of FBS. Uh, and he said in his press conference, when he made comments this Monday, he said, I'm just, I'm more patient. I know when to throw the ball away. I, I know when to leave the pocket. I know when to stay in the pocket. Like, he's just, he's more comfortable. And he's been at Georgia for so long now uh, that – you know, he's put up better numbers from a big time throws and a turnover worthy play perspective than JT Daniels. And that's the reason this five-star JT Daniels that is, you know, basically graded the same as Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence a couple of years ago. He's sitting behind Stetson Bennett. If that gives you a clue, it's like, it's not a joke anymore. Like the kid is really that good. So, you know, for me, this is a game I power rate at seven. I've got a Georgia plus 275 to win the SEC in my back pocket. I think the over is the better play. And the reason the over is the better play is because what I just said, Alabama can't run the ball. Brian Robinson is beat up. There's no room for him to run in between the tackles with this offensive line. Trace Andrews. And you can't run against Alabama, and Georgia's run offense hasn't been that great. You can't run against Alabama. Trace Andrews couldn't run against Auburn. So what does that leave Alabama to do? 
it leaves Bryce Young to hit the open spots on the field. And there's not going to be that many of them, but there's going to be a lot of throwing. There's going to be a lot of up-tempo. And I think if you look at what Bryce Young did last week, Kirby Smart said this in his presser on Monday, and that's when I wanted the over immediately. He said, if you watch what Bryce Young does now, his release point is super fast. So I went and dug into the numbers. A typical release point for most quarterbacks is two to two and a half seconds. If you go back and look at last week's game, one to one and a half seconds. You go and look at any clip, any play he makes, one to one and a half seconds. We are back to Mac Jones, right? Like Mac Jones got rid of the ball so fast. It didn't matter if you, if the defense had a sack rate that was number one in the nation, you weren't going to get there. So I like the over in this game because if that doesn't work, it's either going to be picked off great field position for Georgia, or it's going to be an explosive play and the chains are going to keep moving at chunk yardage. So I think the over is the play here. I don't want to take a side. Uh, If I had to, I take Georgia. Alabama's due for a bad one. This is it. I think Bill O'Brien's out the door. See you. He won't be in whatever, you know, Outback Bowl or wherever the hell Alabama's going to end up. But I think it's going to be bad enough where Alabama's not going to be in the college football playoff. But over is my best bet. Look, these are two coaches who are extremely familiar with each other's defensive schemes, right? And know how to attack them. You're on a fast track. We've seen these SEC championship games consistently go over. Um, And I think both teams are going to be throwing a lot. All right, let's move on to the ACC championship <laughs> between two unlikely contenders, Wake Forest and Pittsburgh. The ACC, more than just Clemson. Pitt is a three-point favorite over under 71. Wake Forest is 1-0 and in the ACC title game historically. They beat Georgia Tech 9-6 in 2006. The MVP was their kicker, Sam Swank, who made a 33-22 and 19-yard field goal Georgia Tech's quarterback in that game in a loss, Reggie Ball, was 9 of 29 for 129 yards. Calvin Johnson, by the way, had eight catches for 117 yards. <laughs> he had 117 of the 129 yards. Poor, poor Megatron. Just never could get on a, uh, a great team. Wake also won a title in 1970. Pitt, Pitt's 0-1 in the ACC title since coming over in 2013. They got drilled by Clemson in 2018. All right, I got a couple angles for this game. I like Wake Forest plus three. There's a couple advantages for, for Wake Forest. First, Pittsburgh's defense, they play, are extremely aggressive, right? And they play a lot of guys in the box. They play man, a lot of press man or quarters quarters coverage on the outside. They leave their corners on islands, and they you know are sh- shooting gaps and getting. they create a lot of havoc, tackles for loss, and they have a lot of guys in the box, so it's really hard to run against them. Hence, their elite you know, havoc numbers, run defense numbers across the board. But I think they're really vulnerable in the secondary and it's not being accounted for in the market. Number one, they have Eric Hallett, who's a, they're starting free safety is in the slot. Almost every play guarding the slot receiver. He's been lined up in the slot 342 times this year, third most snaps in the country. 175 corners have taken at least 75 snaps in the slot this year. This is when they're targeted, I should say. Only eight have allowed more than two yards per snap. He's one of them. He's allowed 53 catches for 696 yards in the slot, both highest in the nation. Four touchdowns, one interception, 103 quarterback rating allowed. And against many bad passing offenses that they faced. By the way, Wake Forest 
has a guy uh, named Roberson. You, you might have heard of him. He uh, had over a thousand yards this year. He lined up in the slot 467 of 588 snaps this year. Also, got another guy, A.T. Perry, another thousand yard receiver. He's six five. These pit corners are small, and this is a pit defensive backfield that lost three pros. Although I don't know how Paris Ford's not on an NFL roster right now, but you know, a cornerback who had the lowest completion percentage allowed last year, and another, you know, their star safety who did so much for this defense. Opponents are only four of 21 on fourth down against Pitt, by the way. That leads the nation. And when I look at what they've done against really good passing offenses here, but let's see who they face. Western Michigan, good passing offense. It's a max school. Oh, yeah, they lost at home 44 to 41. Tennessee, they gave up 34 points. They probably would have lost that game if Hendon Hooker starts. Joe Milton started the first quarter and a half before getting benched. All right, they played New Hampshire, UMass, Georgia Tech, Vatech, Clemson. None of those teams could throw. How about Miami? They could throw. Now that Van Dyke's in there. Oh, well, they lost 38-34. All right, they played hey, Duke. Duke threw all over them in the first half. Holmberg, before he got hurt. Duke put up 30 on them. North Carolina, all right, they won 30-23 to 23 in overtime. That was in weather. There's a reason that they only scored 23 in regulation against North Carolina's defense, too. And then they played Virginia. Really good passing offense. Okay. Virginia put up 38. And then they closed the year with Syracuse, who can't throw the ball either. So they play, they face so many de- offenses that just run the ball and can't throw it, and that's perfect for their defense. Anytime they face a competent, explosive passing offense, they've gotten torched. I think they get torched here again. Look, Pickett, Addison are excellent. They're going to put up points as well. But I think it's a good matchup for Wake. Wake, dreadful run defense. Well, Pitt can't run it. Not a good pass defense, but they're a little better against the pass. Wake Forest can't really run the ball. Pitt, elite run defense. Well, who cares? Wake wants to throw, and they're going to throw all day. The only thing I worry about is this mesh point and how much pressure Pitt can get. You saw Clemson cause some problems for for Wake Forest in that aspect. But I think Sam Hartman and company cook here. I think this game is a true coin flip, and this pit secondary is going to get exploited. Hallett is going to get cooked, cooked all day. Here's the deal. I've broken this down from every angle, and I come to the same conclusion that I think this game goes to overtime. Like, I would actually hit an overtime prop on this game. Uh, there, There are too many advantages for both offenses. Wake's defense has had troubles all season. (laughs) <laughs> just to give you an example, Pitt, eighth in offensive finishing drives, Wake, fifth in offensive finishing drives. You know what the defenses are? 56 and 97. Like, if they get past the 40-yard line, there's six points going up on the board. Both teams are top 20 in the middle eight. Both coaches, Narduzzi and Clausen, they know how to manage the clock. Uh, you know, these special teams are 36th and 19th. Pitt's 115th in rush explosiveness. Wake's 111th in defending rush explosiveness. Like, even where they're bad, they match up. I think the one that stands out is, is in passing downs. Pitt has a very high rank in sack rate, and Wake Forest is 122nd in defending Hartman. But a lot of that could be him trying to extend the plays, taking off from the pocket, and trying to do things in third and fourth down uh, when he has to. This is power. Pitt also played a lot of bad passing offenses trying to throw on third and long. Yeah, that's true, too. I mean, that's a good way to beef up that number. It's a game I power rate at minus three and a half for Pitt. So I don't see a whole bunch of value in the number that's three on the board. It has flickered down to two and a half. Total sits at 71 in the market. It's a number that I have at 70. But considering that these two teams dominate on offense and finishing drives against two defenses that don't dominate in finishing drives and plays per minute, these two teams' pace is four and 19. I don't know how you don't play an over. And I think this game is going to overtime. 
So, you know, I guess it would be a Wake Forest play for me, but I think it's a number you can get live better at seven or 10. Now let's talk about the other thing. If you happen to have a future on Wake, uh, there's lots of opportunities up to about six, five, six weeks ago to get a future on Wake. I have officially bought half my ticket out on Pitt. I truly believe this could come down to last possession, and I think it's going to be a nail-biter. I don't think anybody has a strong advantage over the other. So if you have a futures ticket on this, I would suggest buying out. That's how I'm playing this. All right, let's finish things up here with the final. Covered nine, we got one to go. Let's talk about the Big Ten Conference Championship between Michigan and Iowa. I don't think anyone predicted (laughs) that. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Michigan is a 10.5 point favorite under 43.5. This game we played in Indianapolis, 8 p.m. on Fox. By the way, totals that are under 46 in conference championships since 2005. The over has gone 8 and 1. Michigan's first ever appearance, by the way, in the Big Ten title game, which has been held since 2011. Iowa's 0-1. They lost in 2015, 16-13 to Michigan State. The Hawkeyes will look to become the first ever team from the West to win the Big Ten Conference Championship game. The East is 7-0 since the divisions were realigned. Ohio State won five, Penn State won, and Michigan State the other. Michigan, better's best friend, Bodog Jim, 10-2 against the spread this year. Bodog Jim has it under control. Is there a letdown after their biggest win in forever for that program? I don't know. I mean, you win this game, you go to the championship, but these are still college kids, so maybe they're a little flat. Uh, but when I look at this game, what do we say all year? I said this on our podcast last Sunday on our recap episode when we looked ahead to some of these games. Pretty simple handicap for me. Iowa can only score. Iowa's offense is dreadful. 111th in success rate. I, 100, every, outside the top 100 and everything poverty offense impoverished they can't move the ball the only way they score is on special teams field position and turnovers michigan elite special teams elite in field position and they don't turn it over how is iowa going to score iowa can't run the ball they can't pass protect they're going to be in third and long good luck going against two first rounders coming after the quarterback whatever quarterback they have in there whether it's yeah, it doesn't matter. Petrus or Padilla, they both stink. They have no weapons on the outside to challenge Michigan secondary, which passed the test last week with flying colors. I don't know how Iowa scores. There's no recipe for voodoo here. On the other side, team totals here are interesting. Like Iowa, I don't know how they get to 17. How they get in the 17? Michigan, by the way, their team total is 27. Iowa's held 34 straight opponents to 27 points or less, which is interesting. Both, these are great defenses. But Michigan's an above-average offense, and Iowa is an absolutely disgusting offense. And there's just no avenue for points here for Iowa. Maybe the voodoo comes, and all of a sudden Michigan decides to turn it over, play bad on special teams. But this isn't Nebraska. And if you look at some of these Iowa results lately, this is a this team is made of made of horseshoes. Uh, I think that Michigan should cover this. I'm more, a little worried about the letdown. I think the number, there's not a ton of value in the number either. I'm really tempted by the under, but like I said before, unders less than 45 have gone one and eight when they're under 45 in conference title games since 2005. Although 
The one that did go under, Iowa-Michigan State, 16-13. So I just don't see how Iowa can put up points. I don't. They could easily get shut out. I don't know how they're going to score. I keep trying to think of ways, and I can't come up with any. What are your thoughts here? I think, yeah, I think another question is how does Iowa score and how does this game go over the total? So from a projection standpoint, I'm at 11 and a half. So there's no value there. Uh, total wise, 41 and a half. So if you want to say there's value in under 43, let me say, hold on just a second, because Iowa, you know, known for uh, uh, defense and special teams touchdowns, that's going to be hard to pull off against Michigan. Michigan is number one in the nation in havoc allowed. We talked about that against Ohio State. They don't fumble the ball. They don't allow teams to play in their backfield. They don't throw interceptions because they really don't. They don't make risky throws. Yeah, yeah. They they just don't make mistakes whatsoever. And maybe you can return a punt or a kickoff. Michigan is number two in the nation and special teams SP plus. So there's just not a lot of room for what Iowa does to get points up on the board uh, against Michigan. And then you go ahead and ask, well, you know, I should easily take Michigan. I should take the under. Well, let me hold you back. Spencer Petrus has been terrible. He's been hurt. He's been benched. He's going to be playing in this game. But this offense, I mean, they're they're primed to have Michigan score multiple defensive TDs. If you can find a prop on defensive TDs over one and a half for like huge juice, I'd take it. Iowa, 113th and Havoc allowed. Michigan is just, you know, I mean, they, they, they can pounce on that all day. They might not even be able to move the ball after the handoff occurs two yards behind the line of scrimmage. I think Michigan's going to play a quarter asleep. Biggest win in program history. Biggest win in Bodog Jim's career. Congratulations to him. But now you got to get this team up for an Iowa team that can make you fall asleep and then score a defensive touchdown. Iowa can do that to you. Iowa has the defense to at least stop some third downs. They can't cause any And they don't allow explosive plays. Yeah, they don't allow explosive plays. They don't cause any havoc either. They just kind of good at stopping the chains. So, you know, when I look at this, I think this is a snooze fest for a while. I am going to look at probably a first quarter under, and then I'm going to play this live and probably go over. I, I do think they find a way to wake up and get some points on the board. I don't know, Iowa, I, maybe an Iowa team total under, but then again, there's that defensive play again. This is going to be a snooze fest for a while until Michigan realizes where they're at. I, I, I think I might talk myself into the under here. I, did, I just don't yeah. see how Iowa scores. And then Michigan, they don't need, to, they don't need any style points. And I think Iowa's going to come out and go, and they are slow, but even slower, <laughs> run it, punt it. Try, they know that they're not going to be able to throw it here. But everybody should and, know. Uh, Michigan doesn't make mistakes. Everybody should know that key number uh, is uh, is 41, right? So, yeah, the biggest key number in this range right here is 41. So we're underneath that 44 mark, but 41 is really key. So if you're listening to this podcast and it's continuing to move down, make sure if you're going to take it under, you get north of 41. Yeah, and 43 is not – not immaterial. All right. right. Uh, that'll do it. 10, all 10 conference championship games covered as in depth as you will find on any podcast anywhere. Uh, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. We're going to do this really quickly. You guys bared with us for an hour and a half. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. Let's first down Cal USC. I'll make it simple. Uh, Cal I threw in a money line parlay with Michigan. I think it's pretty safe. I don't think USC cares about this game. I think Cal does for this rivalry. I think Cal, look, their pass defense has been a lot better than the run defense, which I think matches up well. The USC defense is done. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with this unit, but I think the it's just this is like a bowl game where one team doesn't care. Uh, I think Cal gets it done. 
throw him in a money line parlay. One sentence agree or disagree? Agree. Uh, I, none of these players for the Trojans will be playing for Lincoln Riley. Why would they care? All right, second down. Let's talk hedging. A couple of people have questions. Look, I'll repeat this. We talked about this in other podcasts. It comes down to your own personal risk aversion, your own personal financial situation, your own motive for placing the bet. Did you place the bet originally saying, hey, it's just a long shot, and if I hit it, great, or did you say, all right, I'm going to get in a position to hedge this if it goes to the conference championship game? You also have to take into account, do you like the matchup or not? Do you think they're going to lose now? You've adjusted your expectations after you've already placed it. You also could say, all right, maybe I can get a middle here. Right? That's important too. But something with like Kent State, now it's three and a half. I might consider just betting what I have, what I did on my initial stake. Is it life-changing money for you? Right. If it is, then you might want to hedge it. If it's just, it's not going to make a huge difference, let it go. Most of the time, you're better off just letting your future go. There's also the live market option, right? You can maybe get a better number live. It's riskier because you might not get it. You might be down two touchdowns right away, but that's another option away. Maybe you, the amount you wanted to bet, you put half in pregame and you wait to see what happens live. Really comes down to your own personal preference. I can't answer the hedge questions for you when you say, look, I have this, what should I hedge? Um, national title hedge questions, I'll try to get to them on Twitter, but those are really tough right now because there's the committee. You don't really know what, is going to happen. And Georgia is going to be huge favorites over some of these teams. It becomes very difficult to hedge. You can't hedge a Cincy future this weekend. And then start, you worry about that next weekend. You didn't, you didn't bet a Cincy future because you wanted to hedge against Houston at home and in Nipper in the conference championship game. If you take a national championship future, you are saying to yourself, this team will be in the semifinals. I think that's important for everybody to know. Um, A lot of times, if you're a recreational better, let it go. Let it go. We got third down. Let's go with our favorite bet of the weekend. We talk about every game, so we can just do one sentence here. Colin, I'll let you lead off. Where are you going? Western Kentucky is not being properly recognized by the odds makers. They opened this up at a pick. It's flown out to three and a half. There's more money coming into it. The UTSA secondary is one of the worst in the nation against the pass. This team is exhausted and tired. Sincere McCormick has created one missed tackle in the last three games after making 39 this season. This is a tired roster. I got a little lucky with the field goal kicking when they went up and beat Western Kentucky, a different Western Kentucky team that is now playing defense. They have not allowed more than 21 points since that loss to UTSA. Western Kentucky, I still think, is completely undervalued on this board. The UTSA secondary cannot deal with Bailey Zappi. This is something we identified when the Houston Baptist head coach, offensive coordinator, got Bailey Zappi and some other players and said, we're coming to Western Kentucky to dominate Conference USA. We kept it in our back pocket and didn't talk about it at all until odds got put up in May, and then we wailed on it. Put in the action app, one of the first things that ever went in. Western Kentucky is going to dominate this game. They're going to beat UTSA. They're going to cash all of our future tickets, and Bailey Zappi is going in as probably the greatest gambling god we've ever had in the history of this podcast since we were to Gin and Juice in 2017. I wanted to be the one to pass along this information. We'll win. We'll get it done. We'll clearly win the uh, fourth annual Gambling Heisman Trophy that we will award after the season. Zappy Hour. I'm going to be <laughs> tweeting that sign and Zappy all, all Saturday. For my favorite bet, Houston, Cincy, under. I just don't see how Houston consistently moves the ball against this elite Cincy secondary, which arguably has the top corner duo in all of college football. 
I think they've started to put a plan in place to maybe move Sauce Gardner or Kobe Bryant to the slot if Dell is cooking there. That's the only way Houston can ball. They can't run the ball, and now you're trying to throw on an elite secondary. I don't see it. These are two slower teams. Also, another point to raise, Cincy very good on punts and kickoffs. That's important against arguably the best return man in the country, who's a huge weapon for Houston in most weeks. I do believe in the Houston defense. I just don't believe in their offense. They've faced horrendous defenses this year. This is a big step up in class. I think since he suffocates Houston here, and Houston's defense doesn't let it get too out of hand, give me the under there. All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you for listening. Colin, thanks as always for joining me. Make sure you tune in to Big Bets on Campus Live. We'll cover four of the marquee games on Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, live on Twitter. We'll both tweet out the link. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, leave a review. Make sure you subscribe again, by the way. Leave a review, five-star review. I'll probably do giveaways next week. We will have a recap episode this weekend, and we'll be probably with Brett McMurphy. We'll be talking bowl reveals and all that good stuff, college football, semifinal playoffs. We'll probably have lines out. We'll record later in the day. Probably do some giveaways, so make sure you tune into that Monday morning, Big Bets on Campus podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks again for all your support. Let's have a big weekend. And then a huge bowl season. That's what we live for. It's time for us to go try to find some last-minute winners. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.